Bola Boss, you fussy Duncans. Welcome to the Blind Buy Podcast. If you're a brand new listener, go back and listen to some earlier podcasts. To familiarise yourself with the lore of this podcast, you need to learn what a hot take is. I think this particular episode is going to be a little bit intense on the old hot takeness. It's for seasoned quivas. Well, if you are a seasoned quiva, welcome to the Blind Buy Podcast. You know the crack. The weather is improving ever so slightly and it's absolutely wonderful. The promise of summertime is in the air. I woke up this morning and there was a breeze and the breeze was actually sweet. I can't explain it. The, the breeze, it tasted sweet. I think it was the little, all the little buds on the trees getting ready to wake up and bloom into leaves. But it was a beautiful wind and it filled me with a sense of I don't know, hope or optimism, which was very nice. That's the feeling it gave me. And then that feeling was immediately dashed as I jogged along the canal and saw what I believed to be a dead swan. It wasn't a dead swan, it was a bleached traffic cone. And that grounded me right back down to reality again. But I'm glad there's that little stretch in the evening and slightly improved weather because I'm going to Cork this week. I'm in Cork for three days doing gigs. And I haven't properly been in Cork, Jesus, in nearly two and a half, three years, lads, since the pandemic. So I'm really looking forward to returning to Cork and spending three fucking days in Cork. Cork is a lovely city. I'm going to get some writing done. I'm going to treat Cork like a writing holiday. And I'll settle down in some cafe because I have a short story I want to finish. I kind of need the weather to be okay if I visit Cork because there's so many hills. I'm, I'm from Limerick. I'm not used to those Cork hills. I'd slide down a street at the first sight of rain. I remember being on a bus in Cork once beside the Lee and there was a seal in the river. There was a fucking seal jumping up and down, showing off in Cork City. But I was on the bus. There was a lot of French school children on the bus and they all started looking at the seal and screaming, fuck, fuck, fuck. Now I couldn't understand this because I thought that this was brilliant news. It's like, I'm on a bus in Cork. And there's a, a seal, a wild seal, giving us all a free show in the river, jumping up and down. We could see him clearly. It was amazing. So I'm there wondering, what, why is this terrible news to all these French school children? Is, is the sudden appearance of a seal a bad omen in French lore? Is a seal like one of the four horsemen in the apocalypse or something? I couldn't understand it. The word seal in French is fuck. So all these French school children were screaming fuck at a seal in Cork. If you are coming to my Cork gigs, the first two are sold out. There's Thursday night in the Opera House, that's sold out. Friday night in St. Luke's is sold out. And I think there's only a couple of tickets left for the Saturday night in St. Luke's. But I have fantastic guests lined up and I cannot wait to get back to Cork. Cork, Limerick's older brother. Cork, Cork is Limerick's older brother who went to college and ended up actually getting a job and a career in the thing they went to college for. That's Cork. And Limerick's still thinking of moving to Australia. No, Limerick can't move to Australia because it got caught set in hash when it was 19. So Limerick has to move to Galway. (laughs) I'm also in Dublin. Although if you're listening to this podcast on Wednesday morning, you're too late for my Dublin gig. I gigged Dublin. 
I'm recording this before it happened now and it feels weird, so I have to speak in the past tense and pretend I'm in the future. I gigged Dublin last night and in my Dublin gig last night in Vicker Street I spoke to Keith Duffy from Boyzone and it was probably amazing. So that's what you missed out on if you didn't go to my Vicker Street gig in Dublin. Although there's two more in April if you're interested. Just type it into the internet, you can't. So this week's podcast is like a rambling hot take. As in there's no one unified theme. Well, there kind of is. I want to explore some very bizarre coincidences between Irish history and food. Very, very strange little stories that I've unearthed during my research. Here's the first story I want to speak about. I'd like to speak about the sandwich landscape of the Celtic tiger in Ireland. What I mean is our relationship with sandwiches from about the mid-90s to 2008 and what those sandwiches said about us as people and about our economy and about our culture. I'm going to speak about the sandwich wars that occurred at the time. Um, I won't be going into detail about deli counters and hot food counters because we've done that in a previous podcast called Chicken Fillet Roll, okay? But I do want to speak about the sandwich wars that occurred between Subway and O'Brien sandwiches. I have an interesting journey to take you on with this. And if you're thinking, how is Blind Boy going to do a podcast about Subway? How is he going to do that? Well, I can... I can make a very plausible and solid argument that shows that the franchise of Subway exists because of violent physical force Irish republicanism of the 1890s. So stick with me. Ireland doesn't really have a food culture, historically, and during the Celtic Tiger years, which is 1995 to about 2008, certain things shifted in how we consume and think about food. So I'm going to begin this hot take by mentioning... The franchise Subway. You know Subway, it's that place where you get sub sandwiches. I've nothing against Subway. I'll eat in Subway maybe three times a year. I remember when Subway first came to Ireland. I would have been in secondary school. And Subway as a concept was quite new. Because it was both austere and excessive at the same time. First off, what made Subway appealing was it was a fast food restaurant but when you went there you didn't feel like you were eating fast food so even when I was a teenager you kind of knew you can't eat McDonald's and Burger King every day you just can't do that this food is really tasty but ultimately there's something poisonous in there and that was the vibe that we had but when we went to Subway We were like, no man, this is healthy. Look, it's all salad, you're picking it out yourself. This is healthy, you can eat Subway every day. So people did. People did. You went to Subway and here was a fast food experience where you didn't have any guilt. You felt that you're literally eating healthily and you can eat this every single day. Which was a new concept in Ireland. Like, Eating out, even going to a takeaway, before the 2000s, it was a treat. It wasn't something you did every day, it was a treat. Your lunch in school was something you brought with you. You brought sandwiches from home. 
But the Celtic Tiger changed that. For people who don't know if you're outside of Ireland, the Celtic Tiger was an economic boom that Ireland experienced from the mid-90s to the late 2000s. But when the Celtic Tiger happened, it became normal to like buy sandwiches every day for your lunch. This was an okay thing to do. And I'm talking school kids, I'm talking 14, 15, 16, all of a sudden were buying sandwiches for lunch. Like at the mid 2000s made this shit normal. Like my older brothers who grew up in the 80s, they would have brought packed lunches to school. And the concept and idea of me being in like junior cert buying a sandwich for lunch that made their heads explode. They would have brought packed lunches to school and maybe trade a lunch with another person. But the mid 2000s made Irish people a little bit more comfortable with consumerism. And there was two sources. And I covered this in depth in a podcast called Chicken Fillet Rolls. But you had the hot food counter that started to appear in the late 90s in Ireland. Hot food counters that appeared in petrol stations in Ireland. This is where you went for sausage rolls, potato wedges and breakfast rolls. Now the chicken fillet roll didn't exist yet. That's a post-Celtic tiger invention. The chicken fillet roll represents austerity. It sells you the illusion that you're eating healthily. It could actually be argued that Subway was a precursor to the chicken fillet roll. So around the same time that hot food counters started to appear in Ireland, a little bit later, about the year 2000 and... about the year 2000, Subway franchises started to appear. I remember like three of them burst out in Limerick all of a sudden. And it changed the way that we ate and the way that we thought about lunch because the thing with Subway was, here's this American fast food franchise. But when you go to Subway... You don't feel like you're eating unhealthily. Like the petrol station hot food counter. We knew that wasn't good to eat every single day. If you're eating wedges, sausage rolls or breakfast rolls every single day. You just know that's not good for your body. But Subway was different. You went to Subway and you can pick out your salad. And you see actual fresh salad going into your sandwich. And it gives you this sense of... Today I am eating healthily and making the right choice and you felt good about yourself. There was also O'Brien's sandwich bars which were... I don't have a lot of respect for O'Brien's sandwich bars. I don't even think they still exist. It's not possible to speak about the Celtic Tiger sandwich landscape without mentioning O'Brien's because they were the sense of conflict within all this. But they popped up in the middle of the Celtic Tiger. Do you know what an O'Brien's sandwich is like? It's like eating the song Roller Coaster by Ronan Keating. And nothing against that song in particular, it just hourly it represents a certain feeling and era. Like visually a sandwich from O'Brien's. Visually what comes in my mind is a red-faced property developer in a pink shirt and boot-cut blue jeans tip-feeding a pint of Bulmers. It's sweaty Celtic tiger lies. When you ate an O'Brien sandwich, you felt like you were being lied to in some way. Like, I remember in the early 2000s when O'Brien sandwich bars popped up. They were aimed at office workers. And anyone under the age of, like, 21 just didn't go in there because it was too expensive. And I think the problem was, is they were just serving these incredibly basic catering-grade sandwiches. The same sandwich you'd get in a deli for half the price. But just offering, like... Ham, cheese and coleslaw, white bread, 
and then what they'd do is serve it on a plate and sprinkle some cheese and onion potatoes on it and then charge you a tenner. And it did come to represent a type of very Irish Celtic tiger excess. It was lies on a plate. You know what O'Brien sandwiches were and the reason it grinds my gears so much and the reason O'Brien sandwiches are so specifically annoying in a very Irish way. The genesis of the rental crisis, everything that's horrendous about the rental crisis you'll find in an O'Brien sandwich. So like, here's something that's very annoying. Dublin is one of the most expensive cities to live in in the world. Not just rent, but the price of goods. Fucking Dublin. Now, no disrespect to anyone from Dublin, but come on. Dublin isn't Singapore. Dublin isn't San Francisco. Dublin isn't Melbourne. Dublin isn't Milan. Dublin isn't Barcelona. Dublin isn't a pleasant place to live. The weather is terrible. It's not even a real city, it's a bunch of towns stuck together. So if I'm living in Tokyo or Barcelona and you say to me, this is one of the most expensive places to live in the world, you get a sense of, yeah, but I'm getting my money's worth. But fucking Dublin? 3,000 euros a month to live in somebody's wardrobe? And then you step outside your 3,000 euro a month wardrobe to be greeted by the stench of two-day-old dog shit that's been disturbed by fat rain. That's what Dublin smells like. And you know that smell. You know you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because it's not even a smell, it's more of a... It's like a feeling. The smell of dog shit that's been disturbed by rain on cold, slimy Dublin limestone. That smell is like... The sensation of inhaling menthol if you lost your sense of taste. The only response to that smell is to immediately think of emigrating. And I'm not saying Limerick's any better, but there's no one saying that Limerick is one of the most expensive places to live in the world. It's the injustice of it. I'm living in one of the most expensive places in the world, and for fucking what? There's no sunshine, nothing exciting happens. Young people can't afford to live there. It's just tourists after tourists after tourists. All the pubs are being replaced with hotels. What the fuck am I doing in Dublin? It's a very specific Irish thing. And O'Brien's sandwiches in the mid-2000s, they felt like that. It's a fucking ham and cheese sandwich on a plate with white bread and a few crisps on the side. Why is this a tenner? And you're giving me a knife and fork as well, is it? fuck am I supposed to do with this knife and fork it's a ham and cheese sandwich lads jeez I've got very hard on O'Brien sandwiches this week apologies to O'Brien sandwiches if you're still around um, they are definitely not sponsoring this podcast it, it just had to be mentioned during the Celtic Tiger you represented in a small way a very specific type of Irish greed let's check this out actually because I, I am being a little bit too harsh on O'Brien sandwiches they're still around. So I don't want to be too harsh on O'Brien sandwiches because it's an Irish company and they probably employ a lot of people. Okay. In 2009, O'Brien sandwiches went into liquidation and was purchased by Abracababra. So I'm not being too harsh on O'Brien sandwiches because there's two separate O'Brien sandwiches. 
So the O'Brien sandwiches I'm speaking about pre two thousand, like what happened in 2009? Global financial collapse. So the O'Brien sandwiches I grew up with, that's your hyperinflated lies on a plate. So that business model didn't work. Those sandwiches represented everything that was horrible about the Celtic Tiger and it fell apart. They went into liquidation in 2009 because it was bullshit. And then Abracababra bought it and I haven't visited at contemporary O'Brien sandwiches but I don't want to be casting aspersions on any O'Brien sandwiches post-2009. I'm speaking about a different business with different owners and no disrespect to O'Brien sandwiches now. I'm sure you're doing great sandwiches. God bless you all. just wanted to say that. I think that's only fair. That's only fair that I do that, isn't it? I'm speaking about a different era. But back in the early 2000s, it was very much, how can you charge me this much for something so basic? And that's where Subway stepped in. Because Subway was the direct opposite of O'Brien's sandwich bars. Subway felt exotic. Subway felt different. Subway had a, a line system that we'd never seen before. When you went to a Subway, it felt like you had a dancing partner. Stand there. What bread would you like? I'd like the hearty Italian. Can we move along here? Would you like that toasted with cheese? I would. And what about the meat? Meatballs, please. Now let's move on. Let's talk about salad. It's completely free. You can have anything you like. And then boom, you get to the till and you have your sandwich. This was new. This was exciting. This was the Ireland that we wanted. This was the future. And it always reminded me at the time because Iraq was being invaded by America and they had this policy called shock and awe and being in a subway in the early 2000s just post 9-11 as a teenager it was shock and awe that dance, that journey you get up to the tail and you pay and then they go do you want a cookie and a never ending fucking drink I'm sorry, what? do you want a coke that's like forever a fucking refillable coke you Irish cunt do you want that? So that was it. We were sold. Immediately. Yes. Yes. I've never heard of this before. We were on our knees sucking Uncle Sam's meatball marinara Mickey. And even better, we genuinely believed that we were making healthy choices. But the refillable drinks, the refillable, we'd never seen anything like that. The, the trust, the element of trust there. Take as much Coke or Fanta as you like. It's very American. It's frontierism. It's the American dream. It's the sense of come here and take all the land you want. It's there. The sky is the limit. And it was in sharp contrast to O'Brien's sandwich bar who were just serving you a ham and cheese sandwich and saying that's a tenner because it's on a plate. But in Limerick though, in Limerick anyway, our Irish brains were not able to handle the refillable sodas that Subway were offering we couldn't handle it but this then led to a very a very destructive habit in Limerick which I never partook in because I always felt it was a step too far I was never into it so it's a tradition emerged during the Celtic Tiger where schoolboys would go to Subway get their roll get their cookie and they'd get their refillable soda they'd have two they'd refill it twice and then as you're leaving Subway you fill it up to the very top and as you get outside the door the tradition was you throw a full soda at the window of Subway and there's a big splash 
and everyone runs away. And also the people in Subway looking out the window would recoil in horror because they think something, they think the window's going to smash. But it's not. It's just cork after cork after cork and occasional Fanta. It was like seeing gorillas hurling their own shit at the window of the zoo. And then after a while people became desensitised to it. So people would throw so many full sodas at the window of Subway that nobody inside even recoiled anymore. No one even made a sound because it would just happen so much and I never understood it. I never understood the anger of that. It's like Subway are giving you refillable sodas. Where, where's that anger coming from? It's like, you stupid cunts giving me something fucking free. I'll show ye Subway. I need to be exploited. Do it like O'Brien's. Charge me a tenner for eight crisps. I'll show you 9-11. Splash. And the brazen excess of that. Like, that was my generation. Filling up your subway cup just to throw it at the window of the subway. We did not think that in four years' time, we'd all have to emigrate to Australia. We genuinely believed that the, the Ireland of now would be big, tall glass skyscrapers and endless free salad and endless refillable fantas. And Subway died too. You know, genuinely Subway was a fancy thing when I was a teenager. This this represented a toxic American type of hope. Now what is Subway? I mean, like I said, I, I'll eat it three times a year. The only time I'll ever eat Subway is if I have a hangover and I need to order something at 11am there's always a subway open and it's the only place delivering and that's the only time I interact with subway and when I see a subway now I feel the way I'd feel if I saw a public toilet it's that same like they're so ubiquitous when I move around the world when I go to different cities around the world you see a public toilet and you see a subway they're just there and the feeling I get is oh god subway it's like you're in Barcelona and you're overwhelmed with choice. You don't know where to go or what to eat and you're not sure. And then you see the subway and you just go, oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay, I'm going to end up... I'll have to... If, if I can't figure out what Spanish food to eat, at least I know subway is there and I know what's in there for fuck's sake. That's what subway feels like. It's the same feeling I get when I see a public toilet. Like, no one's happy to see a public toilet. You're never happy to see one. You're simply relieved that it exists. You know it's there. It's like, all right, okay, it's one of them toilets. It's in the middle of the street. Has one of them doors that might suddenly open out into the street. But fuck it, man, it's better than a bush. At least it's there. And I know it's there. If I really, really need to go, at least I know it's there. Personally, I'd prefer to go to the toilet in a hotel or in a restaurant or even a pub. But look, I know that it's there. That's Subway. I think we all know now in 2022, Subway food isn't healthy. It visibly, you know, has more vegetables than a Big Mac or whatever. But ultimately we understand a 12-inch meatball marinara from Subway is takeaway food. It's not a healthy option. And there's a few reasons we understand this. Subway in the 2000s went through great effort through advertising to lead people to believe that 
their that Subway was like weight loss food, that it was the healthier option. But they based their entire campaign for over a decade on this fella called Jared. I can't remember Jared's second name, but Jared was just this dude in America who claimed to have lost a hundred pounds by eating Subway every day. So Subway used him as a mascot and then he became a convicted paedophile. So that wasn't great for Subway's brand. But regarding the myth of Subway being healthy, one thing that I feel was a real death nail in the Subway coffin is a ruling that took place in Ireland in 2020. And it kind of went under the radar because of the pandemic and stuff. But I find this quite interesting. So I'm going to use it as the foundation of a hot take. So in Ireland, legally, you don't have to play VAT on staple foods. VAT is is 23% value added tax. So if you're selling a staple food, rice, um, wheat, barley, children's clothes, I believe as well as a staple product, and bread, bread is a staple food. So if you're selling bread, you don't have to pay VAT on that. That's 0% VAT. And Subway, which sells sub rolls, you know, that's bread. When you walk into a Subway and you approach the counter and you engage in that beautiful sandwich dance, the first thing they ask you is, what bread would you like? And you're presented with four or five different rolls. Italian, hearty Italian, wheat, oat, I don't know. They're all different types of fucking bread. So basically, for years, Subway in Ireland, when it operated, didn't actually pay any tax on its fucking bread because bread is a staple food. Up until 2020, the Irish Supreme Court declared that Subway's bread isn't legally bread because they analysed it. And the Irish Supreme Court ruled that Subway's bread contains so much sugar that it must legally be defined as cake. So Subway aren't allowed to call their bread bread in Ireland. It's not considered bread. It's considered fucking cake and therefore subject to VAT. So in Ireland, a Subway sub is not allowed to be called bread. But even more odd than that, and this is what's been keeping me awake at night for the past week, even more strange than that, Ireland decided that it's not called bread in 2022. But the reason Subway is even called bread in the first place is also because of Ireland and it goes back nearly 150 years and that's what I want to explore right after the ocarina pause because I don't want to interrupt myself I don't have the ocarina this week because I'm in the office I'm in the office nice and late ladies and gentlemen I'm in here and it's what 9pm I'm the only person in the office complex I'm not scared of ghosts anymore I'm used to being in here when it's nice and late I like it when it's nice and quiet in here. I don't have my ocarina. What I do have is a bunch of keys. So let's have a very gentle key jingling pause. And then you might hear a couple of adverts while this is happening. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science. With beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quite aggressive key jingling there. And the reason is, is... It's not an ordinary set of keys. I recently got myself a tracking device for my keys and a tracking device for my wallet because I lose my keys and my wallet like every day. Every single day I lose my keys or my wallet somewhere in my gaff and it causes untold amounts of stress. So I got two little trackers for it and now I can just press a button on my phone and it rings my keys and I find them in that stupid place I put them in in a flower pot because what happens is is I'd have my keys in my hand and then I get an unexpected phone call and as soon as that happens I'll put the keys down somewhere absolutely silly while I'm on the phone and then can't find them so I can ring my keys now and then the same thing at my wallet because about 36 times a year <laughs> about 36 times a year I will misplace my wallet for a day and I'll have that full day of anxiety where I'm like, did I actually lose all my credit cards and I need to have them cancelled or are they simply down a couch somewhere? So that doesn't happen anymore because I got trackers for my keys and my wallet. I'm not going to tell you what brand I used because that would be a free advertisement for that brand. But I would recommend it if you if you misplace things, get yourself some fucking trackers. Support for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. If you like this podcast, if you're enjoying it, if you listen to it regularly, if it provides you with a little space for calm or solace or entertainment, please consider paying me for that work. This podcast is my full time job. This podcast is how I earn a living. I adore making this podcast. It's the highlight of my week. I adore this work. It provides me with a great sense of meaning. The only reason I'm able to put out this podcast once a week as a monologue essay is because it's my full-time job. I have the time to research and to think about what I want to speak about each week. So if you enjoy that and you're taking something from it, just consider paying me for the work. I'm looking for the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. That's it. If you can't afford that, don't worry about it, because someone else is paying for you to listen for free. If you can't afford it, you're paying for someone else to listen for free. So every single person gets a podcast, I get to earn a living. It's a wonderful model that's based on kindness and fairness and soundness. And also, being a patron of this podcast keeps the podcast independent. It means that I get to make the podcast that I want to make. I get to speak about what I'm genuinely passionate about each week. 
and I don't have to think about brands. This is a podcast that's basically shitting on Subway and I don't have to worry about upsetting Subway. Don't have to worry about upsetting an advertiser that represents Subway in case that might affect my capacity to work with some other brand. They can all fuck off. No brand gets to dictate the content on this podcast. No advertiser gets to tell me you have to speak about this don't speak about this it's a, it's a competing brand this is the world of entertainment lads that's the world of media brands and advertisers when they pay for a podcast dictate the content and decide what the content is we don't have to worry about that here because we're not dependent on advertisers if someone wants to advertise here they do it on my terms or else they don't so the Patreon model keeps that possible makes that possible and keeps the podcast fully independent so support all independent podcasts not just mine whatever independent podcast you're listening to and you're enjoying just support monetarily share it tell someone about it leave a review leave a comment because the podcast space is changing rapidly if you've been listening to podcasts for the past decade you'll notice the past two years podcasts have become very very different there's a huge amount of money being pumped into podcasts. A lot of big corporate fucking big name podcasts are getting produced. Quality is dropping. Podcasts are turning into radio. The thing that made podcasts beautiful is disappearing because money is destroying it basically. So if there's an independent podcast that you like and you enjoy, support that podcast. I won't be on Twitch this week because I'm going to be down in Cork. I'm going to be down in Cork on Thursday night doing the gigs. There'll be, there'll be no live stream on Twitch this week, but hopefully there will be one next week. Patreon.com forward slash The Blind Boy Podcast. So here's the very, very bizarre story of how Subway Bread got its name in the first place. Now, if you're a 10-foot Kevin and you've listened to all 300 episodes of this podcast, you will notice a thematic overlap here. Because I spoke about some of the following story in a podcast back in 2018, I believe. But I didn't speak about it in this context. So in order to fully understand the American sandwich chain Subway, we need to go to Ireland in 1881. And to an Irish engineer in the 1880s by the name of John Philip Holland. Now John Philip Holland was like an eccentric Irish inventor who lived in Kilkey, which is close enough to Limerick. It's on the, the west coast in Clare. And John Philip Holland was an engineer who became obsessed with building a ship that would work underneath water because that hadn't been done yet. There was no such thing as a ship that went underneath water because John Philip Holland in Kilkey in 1880 was inventing it. So... What John Philip Holland was inventing was a submarine. The submarine was invented by an Irishman. But if you're living in Ireland in like 1880, having an idea in your head for a submarine, you know, what are you going to do? Go down to the fucking local pub and tell the lads? So what he did is he moved to America. He moved to Boston. Because he knew that this idea of a ship that can go underneath water, if he just finds someone who can give him the money to build it, that this could be a, an invention that would change the world. So he went to the US Navy and said, lads, 
I've got an idea for a ship that can go underwater. You can hide the ship under the water, you won't even see it. And the US Navy just said, Look at this mad Irish bastard. No, we're not wasting money on your crazy invention of a ship that goes underneath the water. Fuck off. So John Philip Holland is down on his luck. He's an Irish inventor, written off as an eccentric, with an idea for an underwater ship, and nobody will fund it, because it's too mad. So he's going around all the Irish pubs in Boston, and then he gets talking to some lads, and these lads are in the Fenian Brotherhood. Now the Fenian Brotherhood was the American counterpart to the Irish Republican Brotherhood. Effectively, they're the IRA before the IRA. And John Philip Holland tells these lads about his idea for a ship that can go underneath the water. So the Fenians say, Fuck yeah, we'll give you money for that. We could use that to sink British ships. Let's go. So now, effectively, the IRA in America are funding the world's first ever submarine. So Holland finally gets to building his vision. This submarine is no longer a thing in his head. He can now fucking build it. So he does. And he builds this little submarine. Which became known as the Fenian Ram. It was small enough about the size of a van. It could fit two people. But it went underwater. It was a submarine. And it had a little gun on it. But then he started to argue with the Fenians about funding. So the Fenians stopped funding it and they had a falling out. But the Fenians were like, this cunt's after building a fucking submarine. This is a secret weapon. This is the only one in the world. The Brits haven't even heard of it. And we're after funding this thing. So he's not keeping it. So now the Fenians stole the Fenian Ram, the world's first submarine. But they hadn't a clue how to use it because John Philip Holland was no longer involved. So now they just had this boat that they know can go underwater, but they haven't a clue how to use it. So now the the Fenians and the Irish Republican Brotherhood were like, shit. Okay, so we've got this, the world's first ever submarine. We don't know how to use it. We can't put it into water. What are we going to do? So then they said, why don't we display the Fenian Ram in museums and charge people to see it. So that's what they did. The Fenians, the IRA, toured America with their submarine and put it into museums and raised money for the fight back in Ireland. In From the 1880s, the 1890s and the 1910s, this submarine was touring America in museums. But at the same time, America was seeing an influx of Italian immigrants. Now, all around the area of Maine, New England, Boston, around the 19, around 1900, all these Italian people were coming in and a lot of them were working on the docks of these areas. Now, these Italian people were used to eating Italian meats like salami and prosciutto, but it's not back home. They can't sit down in the sun and take out a platter and eat prosciutto on its own with some cheese or with some olives now they're in America, they're in Boston they're working on the docks and they've got a short lunch break so what happened is other Italian immigrants started to cater to this by inventing the Italian sandwich so 
you'd have Italian lads going around in carts and they're selling people a, a roll that was about six inches long and filled it with prosciutto, salami and Italian cheeses and they would sell this to Italian dock workers and the Italian sandwich was born in America there and then. And the Italian sandwich became very popular with Italian Americans who were making food, who were providing food. So then what happens, right? Sometime around 1916, I think it was, the Feeney and Ram, this Irish-American fucking submarine, was touring in a museum in New Jersey. And there was an Italian grocer by the name of Dominic Conti, right? And Dominic Conti was selling these Italian sandwiches in his grocery. And he made this special bread that was just the right size for these sandwiches. But he didn't have a name for it. So Dominic Conti walks into the museum, sees the IRA's submarine, and then says to himself, that IRA submarine looks a bit like the bread that I'm making. I think I'm going to call this bread a sub. So that's why Subway is called Subway. Because the fucking IRA built the submarine in the 1880s. And now in 2022, the Irish government have decided that Subway's subs are not legally called bread. So by sheer bizarre coincidence, Ireland is both the birth and death of the sub and its status as a bread roll. And what became of John Philip Holland? He moved on and the US Navy took him seriously. And he went on to design the world's first submarines. Uh, One of them was called the USS Holland. And I think to this day, there are still submarines in the US Navy named after Holland. But yeah, an Irishman from fucking Kilkee invented the submarine. Now I said at the start of this podcast I wanted to speak about the relationship between foods and Irish history. These strange little relationships that I find when I'm researching these things. These odd coincidences that I completely obsess over and I just need to get them out of my system. So we've established Subway would not be called Subway if the IRA hadn't funded a submarine in the 1880s. We've gotten that out of the way. Another thing, when I used to go into Subway in those Celtic Tiger days when I cared about Subway one of the reasons I never partook in the refillable sodas and smashing it off off the window one of the reasons I never partook in the refillable soda is when when you went and got your sub in Subway during the Celtic Tiger you got the meal deal I want a sandwich I want a drink and I want a cookie. So I'd always go for the Sunny Delight instead of the refillable soda because I used to fucking love Sunny Delight. I used to go mad for Sunny Delight in the late 90s, early 2000s. There was something addictive in it. I used to buy the three litre bottles of Sunny Delight. Three litres, lads. And I'd go through it in a day. In fact, I spoke a couple of weeks back about how I used to live in a house that was so cold that I used to have to piss into a bottle rather than leave the bedroom at night time and risk getting more cold I'd piss into a bottle the greatest piss bottle available to humankind 
is a 3 litre Sunny Delight bottle. 3 litres, so you never have to worry about if you have a, if you have a huge piss, it doesn't matter. You're always safe. And the Sunny Delight mouth was wide, which was very, very important if I woke up on a piss horn. Milk bottles are risky when a piss horn is involved. If you don't know what a piss horn is, it's when you need to go for a piss so much that your bladder expands and causes an involuntary erection. So three litre Sunny Delight bottle all the way. But when I was in Subway, I used to get the small bottles of Sunny Delight. And then it suddenly stopped. And I'll tell you why it stopped. Because the news started reporting that if you drank enough Sunny Delight in a day, you could literally go orange. Your skin would turn orange. And there was reports of children drinking 1.5 litres of Sunny Delight a day and they would go bright orange. And it was real. It was a thing that was happening. And I became terrified because I missed our three litres of Sunny Delight. But yeah, it's true. There is a chemical in Sunny Delight called beta-carotene. And this chemical, if you take enough of it, will turn your skin yellow or orange. If you buy tanning pills, tanning pills are basically pure beta-carotene. You buy tanning pills, you will go orange and yellow. And if you drink enough Sunny Delight, you will go orange. But beta-carotene, as you can tell by the name, comes from carrots. In fact, beta-carotene is what makes carrots orange. Now the thing is, carrots weren't always orange. A carrot in its wild state looks much closer to a parsnip. Carrots are a pale white colour in their natural undomesticated state. So why are carrots orange? About a thousand years ago, carrots were purple. Because when carrots come from Iran and Iraq, and they think that humans just started to naturally breed carrots that were like dark yellow or purple so that farmers could differentiate those carrots from wild carrots. But where did orange carrots come from? So there's a theory Now, it's not 100% proven, but it's a very plausible theory. Here's what we do know. All modern carrots that we buy today are orange. When I say carrot to you, you think of a fucking orange vegetable. You don't think of purple. If if I say to you a blonde carrot, it doesn't exist. You're going to think of a parsnip. Carrots are fucking orange. All carrots in the world today can be traced back to one Dutch town called Horn in the 16th century during the time of William of Orange. Now, William of Orange was a Dutch prince. He was from the House of Orange. But long story short, William of Orange is not great for the history of Ireland because William became the King of England and he won a battle at the Battle of the Boyne in Drogheda. Basically, the the victory of William of Orange ensured the Protestant ascendancy in Ireland. It's what the roots of the penal laws, the roots of the potato famine. Bad shit started in Ireland when William of Orange became King of England. So basically the theory is is that carrots are orange because of William of Orange. The Dutch, as a way of almost exporting nationalism, the Dutch Dutch have always been huge when it comes to growing crops and exporting food. The Dutch were exporting all these orange carrots to England, to parts of Europe as a way to export a sense of nationalism to make the colour orange really popular and to associate 
the colour orange with the Netherlands and also to promote Protestantism and that's why carrots are orange. But that same orange is one of the symbols of sectarianism in Belfast or in Derry. You've got orange men on orange marches. Even the Irish flag. We have the green represents the nationalist Catholic community. Then you have orange represents the kind of unionist Protestant community. And then the white in between represents the potential for peace. So that's a plausible reason as to why carrots are orange because of William of Orange. The one thing we do know is that all modern carrots are orange because of the Dutch in the 16th century. And then the Dutch national colour is orange. You had fucking William of the House of Orange. It's not absurd to think that the Dutch were deliberately breeding orange carrots as an act of vegetal nationalism and sectarianism. Another thing I'd like to speak about, which again falls in under the theme of this episode, is banana flavouring. Now when you eat anything that's banana flavoured, like banana flavoured sweets or banana ice cream, you can't help but notice that it doesn't actually taste like bananas. It tastes like what you've been told bananas taste like, but it doesn't taste like bananas. If you go and get a banana and eat it, it's not going to taste like banana flavouring or even smell like banana flavouring. Why is that? So I was reading up about bananas. So the bananas that we eat today, they're a breed known as a Cavendish banana. And when banana flavouring was invented, which I think was the, the either the late 1900s or the early 20th century, when banana flavouring was invented, the flavouring was based on a different type of banana known as the Gros Michel banana. And the Gros Michel banana before about 1950 was the main banana in the world. So that's where banana flavouring comes from. But the thing is with the Gros Michel banana it was susceptible to a disease called Panama disease. So whole crops of this banana would regularly be completely wiped out because of this disease. They'd be grown in South America around Panama, Costa Rica and in Central America. So when you taste banana flavouring, you're tasting a banana that's, it's not extinct, but it's not really grown anymore because it's so unreliable, it's so susceptible to disease. So the bananas that we eat, the fucking Cavendish banana, that's a banana that can resist this Panama disease. But anyway, here's how this banana bizarrely relates to Irish history. Now I've done a podcast before entirely on bananas. Bananas are one of the most fascinating fruits you can come across. I can't remember that podcast, it's from 2018. It's all about bananas and here's the thing with bananas, right? American imperialism. If you look what, uh, at what America does to the Middle East with oil, America practiced those tactics on Central America in the 1800s with bananas. The banana industry was essential to American imperialism. But anyway, in the 1920s, this gross Michelle banana, there was an outbreak of Panama disease and a worldwide banana shortage was caused as a result of this disease. And in 1923, there was such a fucking banana shortage that one of the most popular songs in the world, it was a novelty song, 
there was this really, really popular song called Yes, We Have No Bananas. I'll play you a little excerpt here. There's a fruit man on our street whose name is Mr. Peach. And he keeps good things to eat, but you should hear him speak. When you ask him anything, he never answers no. He just yeses you to death and then he takes your dough. Oh, yes! We no got a the banana. We no got a the banana today. But if you listen to that song, so that was the biggest song in the world. And that song existed because there was a banana shortage because of this disease. But, as I'd mentioned previously, carrots became orange, most likely because of William of Orange. And this orange colour found its way into sectarian divides in Ireland because you had orange men who were Protestants, who were Unionists. And then you had nationalists who were most often Catholics. Well, in 1932, in Belfast, there were these widespread protests about a thing called outdoor relief. Outdoor relief would have been like a primitive form of social welfare in the 1930s. But in Belfast, there was protests about outdoor relief. People wanted more social welfare. And the thing is with this protest is that it wasn't sectarian. If you were poor, whether you were Catholic or Protestant, it didn't matter. This outdoor relief issue affected you. So people ended up protesting. But the issue was, you now had Unionists and Nationalists, Catholics and Protestants in Belfast protesting together because they're all protesting against the same thing, which was very odd because these communities wouldn't normally mix with each other. And one thing they found when they were protesting is they couldn't sing any songs because the Unionists only sang songs that were kind of sectarian and anti-Catholic. And then the Catholic Nationalists only knew songs that were considered sectarian too. So they had nothing to sing at their protest because they're all together protesting together. So what they did is they sung Yes We Have No Bananas because it was the only song that all of them knew that had zero sectarianism in it. So that's this week's series of little hot takes. Micro hot takes, if you will, that have loose, bizarre connections between food flavourings and Irish history. I'm going to be back next week. I might be back next week with an interview with a very, very cool guest. Naki Duffy. Although I will probably put that out. I may have a very special guest next week. I'm just have my fingers crossed to see if I can actually get an opportunity to interview him um, sometime this week and I'm not sure so I may be back with that next week hopefully if not I'll have a little hot take I don't know in the meantime mind yourself have an enjoyable week rub a dog kiss a cat enjoy the slightly longer evenings and the sweet breeze and mind yourself Yart. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.